He said through Isaiah, all our righteous deeds, all our good works, nothing but filthy rags. You need the filling of the Holy Spirit if you're going to be approved by God, fully blessed of God, used of God. You're going to need the filling of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Dear God, just want to thank you for the opportunity to open your word again and what a treasure trove this is. All of the things of life that we need, all of the riches that we can send forward into eternity is all contained here in your word. Thank you, dear God, for the treasure of your word. We pray that you would bless it to our hearts, that you'd be glorified, that your church would be strengthened, and that people would be drawn to the person of Jesus Christ. May we become your witnesses, the fishers of men. And you said that if we followed you, we would be fishers of men. And so help us to know whether or not we're following you, whether or not we're fishers of men, and we pray that our fishing would be productive, and may it all be for your glory, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And God's faithful said, Amen. The whole reason for the filling of the Holy Spirit is so that we can do what we otherwise could not do. God is always calling us to do stuff that we don't have the ability to do. And uh, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, don't get drunk on wine. Leave that mess alone. That's for the people who don't know God. He says instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because anything that wine could even think about doing for you, the Holy Spirit will do for you. Whether it's to give you courage, whether it's to relax you, whether it's to give you joy, whatever it is, get that from the Holy Spirit. Don't get that from a bottle. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And then, in order for us to know what the, what the filling of the Spirit is like, he follows in the passages after this in the book of Ephesians, and he tells us these things that we'll be able to do if we are filled with the Spirit of God so that we can know that we are filled and not just talking the talk, but we're actually walking the supernatural walk. And so we've been talking about in the book of Ephesians how when people are filled with the Spirit, they want to praise and worship. They're not into the complaining and all this shallow stuff. They're into helping each other out. They're into submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ, where they have that teamwork and where they're putting each other first. And wives are able to submit to their husbands as to the Lord when they are filled with the Spirit of God. And then we come to Ephesians 5.25, this verse that is so convicting to me because Christ is calling me to do something that is just so beyond my ability. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 25, he actually says, Husbands, Love your wives. Now, if he would have stopped there, <laughs> that would be a little bit easier, but he doesn't. He goes on and he says, just as Christ 
loved the church. I want you to love her on the same level that Christ loves. And that's where I then have to go, well, God, how am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to love the way Christ loves the church? How am I supposed to love my wife like that? Most men, most women, most boys and girls, um, they don't really understand what God means when God says love and love with intensity. To, 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 to many of us, love means that, you know, you really make me feel good about myself. And so I just love you for that. Love for some of us is that, oh, this romance is just so hot. This is just so intense. And, and I'm just really feeling this. I'm just really getting into this. And, and man, I must be so in love with you. And the thing that he helps us to understand in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses number 25 and following is that love has nothing to do with feeling because feelings come and go. Sometimes there, there are times when I feel like I just love my wife. And, and there are some days when I just feel like, you know, I don't love her as much today as I did yesterday. And you're looking at this sweet woman over here. Everybody loves her. And you're going, how could he ever have any days where he just doesn't love her with the same level of intensity? You don't have to live with her. <laughs> but let me tell you, she's a lot easier to love than I am. And I'm grateful to God for Eunice, and I receive her as a gift from God, and she's the only one I want. Don't want anybody else. And if anything ever happens to her, I'm pretty sure I'll be single for the rest of my life. I don't think I'll be going out looking for the next one. I think I'd be done. <laughs> I am happy and satisfied. And so he gives me this huge order here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 25. And he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And I read that verse and, and I go, but, but the church was never fair to Christ. The church never loved Christ the way that Christ loved the church. The reciprocation was never in place. And God says, yep, that's exactly what I'm talking about. If your wife isn't fair, if she doesn't love you as much as you love her, I want you to still love her the way Christ loved the church. There are a lot of 50-50 guys around now where I put in my 50, you put in your 50, I do for you, you do for me, I scratch your back, you scratch mine, and we're going to be good. And Jesus Christ says, no deal. What I want is this, 
that you love her enough that if she puts in zero, you're still going to put in 100. And so that's the deal that Jesus Christ expects that I'm going to live with. That whether Eunice does her part or not, that I still have an obligation that I have to love her the way Christ loved the church because that's how he loves the church. He died for her when she was yet sinful and alienated from God and wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He died for her. It wasn't a 50-50 proposition. It's, honey, I am all in. Since most men don't understand what true love is, Jesus said, let me show you what that looks like. And the illustration that I'm going to use is how I love my bride, the church. That's going to be my illustration. And so... Did we pray yet? <laughs> we did? I don't remember us praying. Did we pray? Okay. Well, turn, well, stand with me if you would. And let's read Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In verse number 26, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In verse number 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. In verse number 29, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. In verse number 31, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And then in verse number 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Thank you for standing with me to honor the reading of the word of our great God and King. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25, men are given this impossible order that is possible only through the filling of the Holy Spirit. If you walk in your flesh, 
your life will be about you. If you walk in the flesh, you will be a selfish person and you'll not be looking to serve. Instead, you'll be looking to be served. You'll be this shallow person who thinks about me, myself, and I and not the needs of your spouse. But with the filling of the Holy Spirit, God makes it possible for us to be selfless people. And instead of thinking about ourselves, we're instead thinking about my wife. We're thinking about my spouse. We're thinking about the people around us. And so in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse number 25, how did Jesus love the church? It says, gave himself gave himself up for her. It was not just his time. It was not just his money. It was not just his labor. It was not just his comfort. He actually gave himself. He placed himself on the altar, and he said, all that I am, all that I have, I'm going to give everything to you, and I'm going to hold absolutely nothing back. And that's what God says. And uh, sometimes in marriage counseling, I've asked the guy, I've looked at him and I said, would you die for her? I've looked at him and I've said, what if a month after the two of you are married, there's an accident, and now she's not that cute thing that she used to be. She's not healthy. She's not vibrant and active. She has to be pushed around in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. I said, you ready to sign up for that? Jesus Christ was all in. And so I could imagine the angels looking at him and saying, you're going to do what? You better look around. You're surrounded by angels, and, and look at all the riches of heaven. Your street is made of gold. The, the whole universe is at your disposal. You're the boss. You're the one who is over everything. You have all power, and everything that you want, it's yours. And you're going to give up heaven. You're going to give up the wealth. You're going to give up the power. You're going to give up the fellowship with God throughout all eternity. You and God have never been separated. And you're going to give up your fellowship with the Father to take on the sin of the world to purchase those sinners? So, <laughs> Dude, you must really be in love. And Jesus said, yeah, I am in love enough with these people that I will lay it all down. He says, husbands, love your wives like that. And... Um, In verse number 26, he says, I'm doing all this to make her holy. He wants his bride to be holy. 
That's why you got to walk in the Spirit. Because if you're walking in the flesh, you don't want her to be holy. You want her to jump in the sack, and you're wanting to satisfy your selfish desires and your needs, and you're not after holiness. Instead, you're after satisfying your lust, and, and you're just doing crazy, dumb things. If you're just walking in the flesh. But if you're walking in the spirit, you're looking at your wife and you're saying, I want this to be a woman of God. I want her to be holy. I want her to be cleansed by the washing of water through the word. I am wanting this to be a woman of God. That was, his, that was his first priority. This is the first thing that he mentions. And that's how it is when guys are filled with the Spirit. When guys are filled with the Spirit, they're not just looking at the outer package and like, yep, that's the build I'm looking for. That's the hair color. That's the eye color. The highest priority for people who are walking in the Spirit is that they're wanting someone to be holy and pure and cleansed by the washing of their spirit with the Word of God. There was this little show that was on TV last week. just ticked me off. It just made me mad. Because this guy was supposed to be marrying this girl, and, and he's trying to, to, to soften her up, to satisfy his lust, and, and he's asking his questions about her past, and he's hoping that at some point she's had these sexual experiences that are going to be enhancing his sexual experience. And instead of him being just in tune to her being pure and, and her being righteous and a holy woman of God, he was wanting her to have this sordid past that would serve his lusts. That is what it means to walk in the flesh. We, we, we don't care about building them up spiritually. That's not our highest priority. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the thing that you want more than anything of the person that you're married to is that they will be holy and pure, that they'll be in a right relationship with God, that they will have supernatural fellowship. That is what you're wanting for them. In verse number 27, the same thought. He wants to be able to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain. Talking about the sin that just sort of sticks with you. There's some sins you can't wash off without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I want the church to be able to stand before God and this, and this just be this beautiful bride. I don't want her to be stained with sin. I don't want her to be wrinkled with unethical background and all this kind of stuff. I just want this to be somebody that when I stand at the altar with him, that my dad can be proud of them. I want my dad to be able to look at my bride, and, and I want to go, wow. And I want my dad to be able to go, wow. And so he says in verse number 28, he says, all right, knuckleheads, 
I know that you guys are kind of slow. Have you ever looked at the his needs and her needs? Have you ever looked at that? His needs and her needs? The, the needs of a wife versus the needs of a husband? The needs of a man versus the needs of a woman? The stuff that she needs, conversation, honesty, and openness, commitment to family, financial support, you know, all of this stuff, it's, it's noble. And what does he need? Sexual fulfillment, attractive spouse, and all this stuff, it's all pretty shallow. And so sometimes men are on the shallow side, a little bit slow to get stuff. And so here in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, all right, well, well, let me give it to you another way. I gave you the illustration of Christ loving his church. So, so, so let me give it to you another way in case you missed that one, that Jesus Christ was all in. He was totally committed, and, and, and her health, her spiritual health, was his first priority. Let me give you another illustration. He says in verse number 28, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. See, all right? Can you get that one? Men, if you can't get this thing about loving somebody else like that, let's just put it in some self-serving terms that maybe you'll get. How about the way you love you? One day this guy said, he said, uh, I'm just ugly. I'm not attractive. I'm not, I'm not built right. I'm just ugly and, uh, and I just hate, I just hate myself. And somebody said, if you hated yourself, wouldn't you be glad that you're ugly? You must love yourself if you want yourself to look good. Somebody said, I hate my nose. And somebody said, oh, want me to cut it off for you? No. We love our own bodies. Anybody here would disagree with that? Which part would you like us to cut off? I hate my toes. You willing to lose them? Last time my brother Bubba and I were barbecuing, we were sitting outside in the shade, it was hot, and he had his shoes off and I probably had mine off. And I looked at his toes and I said, are those toes or are those turtle heads? Like the ugliest feet I've ever seen. And we both, you know, got a kick out of it. But he wasn't ready for me to cut them off. If my toes look like that, I may think about cutting them off, but I doubt that I would. 
We love ourselves. And there is no part of us that can be in pain and it not affect the whole body. We take care of our toes, our fingers, our nose, our ears, our kidneys, our liver, our lungs, our heart, our eyes. We take care of every part of our body. Which part of your body, if the doctor said, oh yeah, you have cancer right there, would you be okay with it? Nowhere. We love ourselves. We want ourselves to be healthy. And we're not ever saying, I'm just throwing up and I'm sick as a dog and, and I'm just so happy that I'm sick. We love ourselves. We feed ourselves. And some of you sit down at the table and you feed yourselves and you're just loving on yourself and you're just nourishing yourself and you're just letting yourself have a good time. And you can't deny that because we can see it. That's the worst part about working from home. I've been working from home and uh, <laughs> the refrigerator is so close. You go to get a drink of water, but guess what? Let's fill the groceries. And there's all kinds of stuff. And we just love ourselves and nourish ourselves and some of us are well nourished and well cared for. We give ourselves rest and we cleanse ourselves up and we adorn ourselves and make ourselves presentable for the public and we have life insurance for ourselves and we buckle ourselves up in the car and we are so attentive to ourselves. If we get the slightest cut, we're going to give attention to that little cut, no matter where on our body it is, we love ourselves. And we're so attentive and we're so sensitive about every part of our body. And the book of Ephesians is saying that's how Christ wants us to be toward our wives. We're in tune with our bodies and we know when something is hurting and we're wanting the hurting to stop and we are good to ourselves. And uh, the book of Ephesians, Jesus Christ is saying, if you would just do that for your wives, what you do for yourself, you would have it going on. You would be a good husband if you were like that toward your wife. It says in verse number 30 about Jesus Christ, for we are members of his body. Why does he treat us the way that he does and care for us and is so sensitive about us and so into us? We're members of his body. And that's what, that's what you do for members of your body. And he is saying, treat your wife as a member of your body. 
anything that you would do for yourself, just stop focusing on you and just focus on her and do for her the things that you would do for you. We're members of his body. And in verse number 31, he says, Guys, this is why God told men to leave his father and mother. And by the way, father and mother is just a figure of speech that includes everybody. You would include, what he is saying is that if I'm talking about forsaking the most important relationships that you ever had, obviously, I don't have to tell you that you're forsaking the ones that are less important, that you're going to forsake your father and your mother. What, what God is saying here is that this is a relationship that is so deep, that is so important, that you actually turn your back on your mama and your daddy. That you pick her over your mama and your daddy. Sometimes couples have an issue because... She's loving the kids more than she loves her husband, or he's loving his mama more than he's loving his wife, or whatever it is. And it always causes issues and problems when both of them are not willing to forsake every other relationship for the sake of their spouse. I know I would have had trouble with that. If my mama was still living and I had to pick between my mommy and Eunice, there would be that struggle. There would be that, 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 would be that, that, that uh, frustration that's there because I love them both and I want to please them both. And God says to me that I have to pick Eunice over my own mama and that's what I would obey God and do. But there would always be that tension in my heart. I was counseling this couple one time and they were having issues and the uh, young lady said to me, I have a child now and uh, at this point, he's my man. And she was saying that to say that he gets priority over my husband. Um, I... I try to help that couple out. And sometimes people just don't have the maturity, the depth, the wisdom to get it. And she was just one of those people you just couldn't help. There's some people, their minds are made up and it doesn't matter what the word of God says because they've been taught something else by their mama, by their daddy, by their boyfriends, by their girlfriends, and they're not listening to the word of God. And so that didn't last long. And somebody else came along and she got married again. That didn't last long either. Because if you don't get this, that you got to do it the way Christ would do it, that you got to do it the way God would do it, you don't have much. 
You're just building on sand and the storms will come along and it'll just destroy the relationship and everything tied to that relationship will just be ravaged by the storm. He's saying, husband, you have to forsake every other relationship and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. One flesh, yeah, that's talking about the physical part. That, that, that that's when that happens is after the marriage, not before, not during the engagement, not the night before, but after the marriage takes place and the commitment is sealed, then the two will become one flesh. Sometimes people take this to mean that they're going to become one spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're setting yourself up for such a surprise. This is about oneness of flesh and not oneness of spirit. Are we unified in Christ? Yes. That is the goal. And that is what John chapter 17 is all about. That all the believers are going to enjoy the unity of the spirit. And the apostle Paul talks about that so much. That saints are to be unified. And certainly husbands and wives are to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And they're to be unified in the spirit. But that is a work in progress. You know why? Because God often puts together opposites because if there's somebody who is an extremist on this side they're going to be balanced by the extremist on that side and they're going to come together and they're going to mature each other and they're going to influence each other and they're going to rub off on each other and then eventually both of them is, are going to end up in the middle ground if both of them are being led by the spirit they will influence each other they will appreciate the differences they will learn from the differences and they will have the depth of character and spirit to where they can compromise and negotiate with each other and both of them will end up on healthy ground one person likes to spend, the other person likes to save and eventually they balance each other out where they spend and save appropriately One's a night hawk, doesn't know how to go to bed at night. The other one is a morning person, and they don't know how to keep the attitude straight after 9 o'clock at night. And God just balances them and brings them together. One person is a, is a talker, can't shut up. The other person is a clam and they can't talk and can't hold a conversation and God has to bring the two of them together and uh, that's what he does he makes them one in spirit as the days go by and then verse number 32 he says it's a profound mystery and he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church. <laughs> Say that again. He says, I'm talking about marriage, but I'm talking about Christ and 
the church. So what are you saying? What I'm saying is this. Your marriage is supposed to serve as an illustration to your ungodly friends and your ungodly Christians that your marriage is supposed to serve as an illustration of how Christ loves the church. So, here's what God wants. God wants me to really do the impossible unless I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He wants me to show people how Christ loves them by how I love Eunice. You know that Christ is not here anymore, right? And you know that he still wants people to know that he loves them. How does he illustrate that? He says, I'll illustrate it through the way husbands love their wives. In order to make it possible, I'm going to fill them with the Holy Spirit so they can love their wives when their wives don't love them as much as they love their wives or the wife isn't being fair or she isn't reciprocating or she isn't putting in her 50 or her 100 that you're still going to love her anyway. Man, if I'm in my flesh and I'm thinking about me and I'm the most important thing in my life, I'm not going to be able to illustrate that. God, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because then I can love her no matter what. Because that's how Jesus loves me. No matter what. And so just one last verse. Verse number 33. However, each one of you and... uh, I think this is for the person who is saying, (laughs) you must not know who I'm married to. And God is saying, let me repeat, this is for everybody. Yes, I know who you married. And that is why I tell men to make sure you pick a godly woman. Because if she's not a godly woman, don't you expect that you're going to get your 50? Certainly don't expect that you're going to get your 100. Because if she's not a godly woman, she is not going to have that kind of mentality where she is trying to do 100%. Just, just, just don't expect that. So start out by picking a godly woman. And some of God's people will say, well, it's too late because I was married now. And God says, here's your job. Your job is to love them and wash them. Love them and wash them. Love them and wash them. They don't want to hear anything about God said this and God said that if you're not loving them. He says in verse number three, uh, verse number 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. that's, That's one illustration. And he says, and the wife must 
respect her husband. And so he has to he has to require her respect. Husbands sometimes get the idea, if I love her like that, if I give her a hundred even though she's giving me zero, I'll always get zero. What's the incentive? She will run flat over me if I love her like that. Does the church run flat over Christ? No. No. He's going to love me with everything he has at all times. But he is not going to let me just run flat over me, uh, over him. If I'm not being obedient to him, is he going to fellowship with me? No. If I just decide I'm not going to ever give him my best, is he going to give me his best? No. He requires my respect. And um, we sort of skipped over it in verse number 28, but he says, He who loves his wife loves himself. That's one of those things that can go like zoom over our heads. He who loves his wife loves himself. What he is saying is this. When you love your wife, it's just going to come back to you, to her loving you. He who loves his wife loves himself. What he is saying is that if you're blessing your wife, you're just blessing yourself. You're just planting a seed that is going to come back to you. The good that you do for your wife is going to be good that just gets reciprocated back to you. And God knows how to make that happen. The favorite thing that I like about Charles Stanley, his favorite saying of mine is this, just obey God and leave the consequences to him. That's what Jesus did in 1 Peter chapter 2. He didn't utter threats and all that. He just kept entrusting himself to God. Are my disciples going to make it right? No. Is the government going to make this right? No. God is going to make this right. And that's what God does for the husband who just loves his wife the way Christ loves the church. God says, I got this. I'll make it right. I'll make it fair. But it takes the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of relationships that are in trouble and in topsy-turvy turmoil and all of that. And they're just missing one thing. The filling of the Holy Spirit. And everything changes quickly. Let's pray, shall we? We ask, dear God, that you would take your word, illuminate to our minds. We pray, dear God, that you would just flavor it for our hearts and make it desirable. We pray, dear God, that you would give obedience to our feet so that we can walk in it. And we pray that as we walk from day to day that you, as our reminder, our teacher, 
that you would just bring it back to our hearts and our minds so that we can just remember it and obey it. We pray, dear God, that we, as the people of God, that we would humble ourselves, that we would seek your face, seek to do your will, and that we'd be able to just pray for this world around us and see you healing our land. Because of the obedience of your people, you'll do it just for the obedience of your own people. We pray that we would pray, humble ourselves, and seek your face. Turn from our wicked ways and be influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. Have your way with us, King Jesus. We thank you. We love you, Lord. Have that own way with us. In Jesus' name. Amen. And just